And all God's people said, amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we wrestle with your word today, we pray that our memory would be awakened, that we who are baptized would remember the passion and the joy of that moment and the significance of that moment in our lives. The beginning of our journey begins in the water. And so, Lord, we pray that this water would fall fresh on us here and now today. In Jesus' name, amen. I really love baptism Sundays. I love baptism Sundays because, for one, I don't need to say anything and the gospel is still proclaimed. Not in word, but in in action. Because the two who are coming to be baptized today, they're going to physically reenact what has happened in their hearts. They're going to physically act out a spiritual truth in their lives that they have died to themselves and that they are risen in Christ. This is what baptism means. We, in the free church tradition, believe in adult believers' baptism, meaning that you're old enough to understand it and that it's your choice, not the choice of a parent or, or forced upon you by some government, but it was your free understanding decision. And we believe it, that it's a baptism by full immersion. In fact, that word baptizo in Greek means to immerse, to go fully under the water. And that's important for the symbol, because if you imagine that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was lowered into a tomb for three days. And yet on the third day, Christ rose from the dead, Easter Sunday. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so in baptism, we represent or symbolize how this has happened in our own lives. We've died to ourselves We died to our sin. In Christ, we kill the old self. And so we are lowered into a watery grave. And I don't keep them there forever. (laughs) Just until they stop to bubble. And then they come back up, symbolizing coming out of the grave, raised into new life. As Paul would write to the Corinthians, we are a new creation. Everything old is gone and the new has come. New creations in Christ. And then as they leave the waters of baptisms, the last thing that they hear the pastor or whomever is baptizing them say is go and make disciples. They are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I love baptism Sundays. I love them also because they make me remember. I remember the first baptism that I ever performed. It was for a group of 20 teenagers, and it was in a lake, a place called Lake Waccamaw, with the fish swimming around. And I can remember and see their faces coming out of the water. Indeed, I can remember almost every face coming out of the water. It's like this great, beautiful mess. It's like birth. It's beautiful, but it is messy. (laughs) 
And so it is with baptism. Their faces are like this. They've got water in their eyes, water in their ears, water in their nose. Sometimes a little more than just water is coming out of their noses. It's messy and beautiful, just like birth, for that is what it is, a symbol of new birth. I love baptism because I remember not only those whom I have baptized or seen baptized by others, I love baptism Sundays because it causes me to remember my own baptism, to remember the, the nervousness, which these guys, I'm sure, feel, the excitement, the wonder and mystery. I certainly didn't understand it because it was not the end of my journey. It was marking the beginning. It symbolizes the start of following Christ. But I remember all of that uncertainty and joy and horror and fear and commitment and will I be enough and what does this even mean And then knowing that every day after that is a new day. In many ways, I feel like I'm still learning the meaning of baptism. I love baptism Sundays. I love these Sundays so much because this is the most important marker, I think, or at least one of the most important markers of a healthy church, a growing church doesn't just collect old believers from old churches. A healthy church disciples and brings forth new believers in Christ. And it doesn't have to be the thousands upon thousands like some mega churches might proclaim. That's beautiful, but what's even more important, according to Paul, according to our study in Romans, is not how many baptisms we see, but how much they meant for those being baptized. And more importantly, what it means the next day for them, and the next day, and the next day. So again, the marker of baptism isn't just the physical act and say, yes, we're having baptism, we must be growing, we must be a part of the kingdom work. What's even more important is to see the Christian growth in those who are baptized. What Paul has been teaching us in this Roman series, I love it. I mean, he's so clear, so concise that we are saved not by works, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Christ and confess our sins and commit to following him, We are justified. We are called righteous. We've learned that. And we've learned that that that's how God sees us. I I can't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. It, It wouldn't be the way I would be if I were God, but thank God I'm not. Because I would remember how wrong you were. I would remember the things you did against me. But the Bible says he will remember our sins no more. And that we are blameless in the eyes of God. And then we've learned, though, that that's not the end of the story. There's something called sanctification, this lifelong process. It's what, by grace, God does with us. So that we might live up to that title, righteous. So we might live into that calling of holiness. 
This is what we've been learning about the last few Sundays. And then today we get Paul's culminating argument or statement or definition of what it means to be free in Christ. Free to do what? Free, we are free in Christ to freely submit to Christ. To freely serve. And here in in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and following, he paints the perfect picture of what it indeed means to be a disciple. What does a disciple look like? What should we look like when we come out of the water and begin living our life for Christ? Hear now these words from Paul, written long ago, but for you today. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Believe it or not, this is a very difficult passage to preach. Not because of the personal conviction that's there, believe me. But it's very difficult to preach because, in fact, I rarely do preach this text and have rarely heard it preached because it is so full. It is packed up to the top, pressed down and heaping over with truth and challenge. I mean, every single word is a sermon by itself. Just take one line. Let love be genuine. We could preach for hours on this. It lends itself more to Bible study than to sermon. But each one of these statements, you could take a week and focus on these statements. Love the stranger, welcome, be patient, rejoice in hope feed your enemies. You could take a week and just practice each one of those every single day. For that matter, you could take a month and break the text apart and say, this week I'm going to work on these four markers of faith, these, these four signs of my discipleship. 
And then the next week I'll work on four more and four more. Hey, for that matter, you could take a year, an entire year and break these down one month at a time. This month I'm working on welcoming the stranger. This month I'm working on loving my enemies. This month I'm going to work on hope. This month I'm going to work on zeal because I'm getting tired of the first three. In fact, Indeed, you could take a lifetime. And this is what the Christian life is. A lifetime of working on these. They are essentially three loves Paul is talking about. This is the heart and soul of the rest of this text. If we can understand these three loves, this all begins to make sense and become possible in our lives. The first is the love of God. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God. And much of what Paul is writing about here is the love of God that that lives itself out in the life of the church, in prayer, in worship, in service, in commitment, in ministry. Because love of God, it's easy to say, hard to do. We often give lip service to love. In other words, We say it, we sing it, I love you, Lord, praise God, I love you. But when our lives are measured and weighed, maybe the love is found lacking. But that first one, love God, is the foundation of it all. The second love is easier, I think, love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is easier because of the way we tend to define our neighbor, You look around this room, and this is who we think about when we say our neighbor. It's the people we like, the people who are nice to us, the people who are friendly. We love to love the lovable, right? We love to love the lovable, the people who share the same journey and struggle with us, the people who speak our language, the people who share our culture, our church culture, And so loving our neighbor is when we work side by side, we share with each other, we pray for each other, we help each other in our times of needs. But loving their neighbor is the easy part. Now we come to indeed the hardest, which is love the unlovable. To love our enemy. To love the one who persecutes us. This is not so easy, is it? To feed our enemy... Someone slaps me on the face and I'm to turn my other cheek to them. Someone takes my food and so I'm to give them more food. Loving your enemy is hard. But but Paul is teaching us that when we are new creations, we have to see people the way God sees them. And you know who our, our enemies are? Often our enemies are the people that haven't wronged us. They haven't done anything directly to us. They've not slapped us in the face. We just don't like to be around them. Our enemy might be the prostitute, the drug addict, the homeless person urinating beside us on the tram. Our enemy might be the one who doesn't speak our language and does not share our religion, our faith. Their faith might be one that's opposed to our own. And yet, 
much of these commandments are to love those people with grace. We receive grace, we re-give grace. Because the truth of the matter is, loving our neighbor we like, and loving our neighbor we do not like, if we do not do these, if we do not love these, how can we say we love God? I love Baptism Sundays because it makes me remember. I want to invite you in just a moment, we're going to to prepare ourselves for baptism. I'm going to step out in the room while the sound team moves some things around. I'm going to invite you to maybe move from your seat if you want to move closer. Look at all these empty seats right here at the front. You're welcome to come so you can see more clearly the waters. But I want to invite you to take also a bit of time in this pause as we do the technical things. Take a moment in this pause to also remember your own baptism. To remember the day. Where was it? What was it like? How did it take place? What were you thinking? What does it mean to you now? And if you're not baptized, ponder this question. Why not? When Philip was sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch said to him, see, here is water, What is to hinder me from being baptized? As the music plays, would you prepare your hearts and minds? Dear Lord, we pray now that in this moment of reflection, you might challenge us and awaken us. Renew our faith and our zeal and our fervor. May we remember the day of our baptism and may it shake us back to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.